Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, so we're in 1 Peter 3, 8 to 18, over to you, Chloe. Mm-hmm. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Uh, For the eyes of the Lord are are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. For who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that Uh, Those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for those for doing good than uh, for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now I'll just pray for Steve. Um, Father God, I just thank you for today and for everyone here, Lord, and I pr- thank you for Steve um, as he comes to speak your truth, Lord, and um, your word, Lord, and I just pray for him um, and for all of us that we, yeah, would be courageous and, um, yeah, be able to have an answer um, for you, uh, yeah, for what we do, Lord, and, um, yeah, I just pray that you'd help each of us to listen and to really apply it to our lives. Uh, thanks, Chloe. Wonderful. Well, great to be with you again. Um, so we're thinking about lines from films, so I'll do the old classic sermon starter with a film illustration. Uh, one of my favorite all-time films uh, is Shawshank Redemption. It's a classic. If you remember, or if you haven't seen it, the main character, Andy, which is on the right as you look at the screen there, is a banker whose life falls apart. He finds out his wife is cheating on him, and he's in prison for a double murder he did not commit. And then he's forced to help with money laundering. By, uh, by the corrupt prison warden. And at one point in the film, Andy, again on the right, uh, tells Red Morgan Freeman, his great friend, that he befriends in the prison. He has this famous line that's on the screen there. Uh, it says this, Fear can hold you a prisoner. Hope can set you free. It's a great line. And I want to talk about those things today. Fear and how it holds you a prisoner. And hope that sets you free. I don't know if there's two more relevant themes in modern society than fear and hope. There's certainly a lot of fear in our world right now, fear of COVID, political instability, uncertainty, or just fear of saying anything wrong and you're going to get cancelled. You know, that's the world we live in, isn't it? Fear of death. Fear is on the rise, it seems. And while fear is on the rise, it seems, though we had Freedom Saturday, sure, but it feels like generally the last two years, hope has been drained from much of our society. What does 2022 hold for us? What does the future hold for us? The the last two years have taken a lot of hope out of us because so much we hoped in 
has not come true. Fear and hope, big themes in modern society, and they're big themes for the Apostle Peter as he writes to a group of Christians in the first century world, in the Roman Empire, they were scattered in modern-day Turkey, and they are a small minority of Christians. They're small in number, but they're also a minority in the sense that they don't fit in with the surrounding dominant pagan Roman culture. They are strangers and aliens, as we've been thinking about. They didn't fit in. They didn't adopt the values of their neighbors that live next door to them. And they were outsiders. They didn't belong. And this showed itself in three main ways. Two we learn in 1 Peter, and one we get an indication of. The first way that they were being responded to by the pagan culture, the Roman, the dominant Roman culture, uh, towards their Christian faith was they were getting verbal abuse. People were slandering them. Christians, scum of the earth. You believe what scum of the earth? They were being slandered for their beliefs. Secondly, there was social ostracism. We don't hang out with people like you. If you believe that, no. Because everyone else believes this. And you don't quite fit with us. And thirdly, though, it seems to be just before the intense persecution that came under the Emperor Nero, he does talk about fiery trials on two occasions. So the physical persecution is heating up. And when Nero certainly does ascend to power, he famously would, uh, set, would, would cover the Christians in wax and set them on fire to light up his garden parties. Verbal abuse, social ostracism, physical torture, because the Christians had a different view than their pagan neighbors. There was a lot to fear, potentially, and they had to know where their hope was in such a day. And just so look at these words that Chloe just read. Who is, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere or fear Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Fear will hold you a prisoner if you're trying to speak about Jesus. You won't. But hope in him and what he's done will set you free, and it will set your lips free to speak about him. So we're going to think about three things. Peter expects there to be questions. He says you've got to be ready to give answers to questions. That's what Chloe just prayed. Why do we have to give an answer? How do we give an answer and when do we give an answer when we as Christians are in the minority to a pagan, well, not so much a pagan culture anymore, but a secular culture that we don't quite fit into? So why are we to give an answer? You see, there's two ways the Christians in Peter's day could have avoided getting questions. Two ways. Tough questions from colleagues, nasty questions from their friends and neighbors and families. Option one was to retreat from the culture. Just don't make any friends with people that don't agree what I agree with. No one's going to ask me any questions then, because everyone who I hang out with is the same as me. So I'm not going to get asked any questions if I just retreat from the secular culture around me, or in their day, the pagan culture, and I just only have Christian friends. That's one way of avoiding nasty questions, isn't it? Just hang out with people that agree with you. Second way was to assimilate to the culture. I'm just going to adopt the values the lifestyle, the decision-making, the value, uh, the value, I said that one, of everyone around me, particularly in modern culture, 
around sexuality, sexual ethics, and gender. Because that's kind of defining for modern culture, isn't it? You are your sexuality and your sexual practice. That's what our culture wants to tell us. So if you have a different view on that, <gasps> everyone is free to be what they want to do. Be yourself. Do whatever you feel like. Love is love. Mutual consent is the only moral obligation for sexual practice and so on and so forth. This is the secular creed in the world we live in today. And by the way, if you don't want nasty questions, just agree. Just agree with it. No one's going to get on your nerves if you just go with the culture, are they? How do you avoid tough questions? Well, option one, in fear, retreat, only Christian friends. Option two, no, no, I've got lots of friends that aren't Christians, but I'm just the same as them. But Peter has been holding out a vision to the churches of their posture to culture, and it's to be a resident alien. Resident, you, know, you refuse to hide away. You belong, you take part, you, don't, you do not retreat, you do not go into a holy huddle separate, you're resident in the culture, but you're an alien. You refuse to conform to the peer pressure around you. You stand out, you stand for Christ, you're different. If you're just a resident in the culture, you're assimilating. If you're just an alien in the culture, you're just retreating. It's resident aliens. That is the identity of Christians when we're the minority compared to the culture around us. Which do you tend towards out of fear? Withdrawal or conformity? We'll all have our temptation. Let me switch the analogy. Being a Christian at the end of the first century and the start of the 21st century means that you find yourself in no man's land. This is no man's land, Flanders in the First World War. No man's land used to be described an area of land between two enemy trenches, not controlled by either side. No man's land could be several hundred yards or less than ten yards, believe it or not. Heavily defended by machine guns, mortar, artillery, riflemen on both sides. It was often extensively cratered and was riddled with barbed wire, rudimentary, improvised landmines, as well as corpses and wounded soldiers who were unable to make it through the hail of bullets. That if you stuck your head above the parapet into no man's land, the bullets would start flying. So you have two enemies on either side. As long as you choose a side and stick in the trenches of those sides, don't go into no man's land. You'll get fired at by bullets, but if you just choose a side and stick with a side and keep your head in the trench, don't make a movement, you avoid the hostility and the bullets. And the, That's a resident alien. He says, I'm going to go into no man's land. I'm not going to belong to the retreat side as a Christian. Where I just go, oh, I don't really want to face anyone. I'm just going to hang out with just Christians. But I'm not going to go with the assimilating. Go, I'm just going to adopt all the values and stick in that trench. I'm going to try and do both. And the bullets are nasty questions that are going to come your way repeatedly. So, are we retreating? Are we assimilating? Or are we being resident aliens, hanging out in no man's land, where we don't quite belong because we're aliens? Bullets will fly, the questions will come. It's not an easy place to live as a Christian. In fact, it's not an easy, today is not often an easy time to be a Christian. And so you need courage, and you need support, and you need grace, and you need hope. So why do we have to give an answer? Because God willing, we're living as resident aliens, avoiding the two pitfalls that Peter wanted the church in the first century to avoid. So secondly, how are we going to give an answer? 
But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, in a hostile world, we live in a hostile world right now. You have a different opinion, especially if you live on Twitter or anything. You will get slammed. And it's easy to respond in kind, isn't it? Defensive, angry, nervous. <gasps> he says, no, 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 no. Revere Christ as Lord. You fear him and no one else. So when the bullets come, you don't respond with angry gestures. You respond with gentleness and respect. See, it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Everyone's mother probably told them that, didn't they? Yes, I forgive you. It doesn't sound like you forgive them. No, you're not annoying me anymore. The person's over there. Yeah, I do love you. It's how you say it. So Peter says, listen, when people ask you questions about your lifestyle or your beliefs or why you do things differently to the dominant culture around you, don't get hostile about it. Don't let your ego come in and play and go, well, I've got to be right. I've got to prove myself right. No, 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 no. Revere Christ. Do it for him. Not for yourself. So don't be arrogant. Don't look down on people. Don't get into the culture war. You know, our culture wants to force us to go, well, it's so binary today, isn't it? Are you this or you're that? Are you blue or you're red? Are you conservative or you're liberal? Are you for or against? And you might go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to, I'm not going to get drawn on your turf. Because Christ is my Lord. So even though I might disagree with you on this and agree with you on this, whatever, whether I agree or disagree with you, I'm going to always treat you as a person with dignity because you're made in the image of God. And I have no superiority because I'm saved by grace. So I have nothing to boast in. So as I share what I think is true, I will do it with respect and gentleness because I appreciate this is a sensitive issue. And you are so fully persuaded of something that I'm so fully persuaded differently of. Gentleness as you engage on those topics. Not anger and ferocity. We care for the people. You know, it's easy to win an argument and lose the person. You can easily be arrogant about your rightness. That means you're wrong. It's hard to be in no man's land. It's hostile, and you can get hardened and scared inside and therefore respond in kind. And the Christian says, no, no, no. Revere Christ as Lord. I do it for him. He's in charge. I fear him and no one else. I love him. So why do we give an answer? Because of resident aliens. They're going to come. The bullets are going to come. How do we give an answer? With gentleness and respect, because Christ is our Lord. When do we give? I don't know why that's there. When do we give an answer? It's a strange, you know, that's the worst title of a talk I've ever. When will we give an answer when you ask a question? Exactly. Church, give answers when you ask questions and not before. No one wants our advice in our culture. No one's going, what do the Christians believe? You know, can you just force that on us? Can you just bash us a bit more with your Bible? Nah. Don't talk until you arouse interest in someone's life. Curiosity because of the way you've lived, because of your gentleness and respect, match with a fearlessness. That they say, I've seen you over the last year, and you go for a pint or two, but it's always a pint or two. Whenever, what, why do you do that? I've seen you over the last, and, 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 and everyone's sort of getting all into this, and and you, you're with us, and you, but then you sort of seem to not just buy into some of the language or the tone or the feel or the view. What is it about you? 
That's when you answer, when they've asked you, because your life has provoked a question. We treat people with dignity and respect, and therefore, if they're not asking questions, we don't give them answers that they're not interested in. Now, this leaves us with an awkward question for ourselves. If in my daily and weekly life, I'm not being asked questions by my non-Christian friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, well, I mustn't be a resident alien. I must have either retreated and go, I don't really have anyone that knows me, and no one knows me that well, so I just sort of don't get asked questions because no one sees my life on display. Or I've just assimilated, and I do have a few too many of those, and I do jump in with the banter here, and I do, and I've just assimilated. If we're not getting asked questions, friends, it's because we have fallen to one of the two trenches, and we haven't taken the courageous route into no man's land and being a resident alien. How do you stay in no man's land? I keep alluding to it. In your hearts, revere Christ. If Jesus is your Lord, if what he says goes, if he's your treasure, if he's your joy, to revere him is not to be scared of him, it's to be consumed by him so that you're no longer consumed by others and their opinions. If he really is everything, you have a fearlessness that will come in to your life. Let me give you an example from my own life. Now, this example is going to sound far too impressive just ahead of time because I've scripted it, okay? It was a conversation I had. I work for a company called HubSpot. They're a tech company in the Docklands. And uh, over the, uh, there's not many pastors that work for tech companies, okay? So guess what? I get asked, I've been asked hundreds of questions about what I believe in the church. And you're a pastor? You're a pastor? You're a pastor? You know, that kind of thing. They constantly uh, ask me the question. Are you a priest? Do you have, you have kids? Yes, I have kids. Well, how do you have? Anyway, you, you can see where the questions go. Uh, there was one moment of questioning that I remember above all else in my last eight years of working for HubSpot. May 2015. Anyone remember what happened in May 2015? I was asked a question, Adam. <laughs> wow. I'm glad he doesn't turn up every week. Yeah. <laughs> You're very welcome, Adrian. Um, in May 2015, Ireland was the first country in history to approve same-sex marriage by popular vote. It was a hostile time. I mean, no matter what side of the argument you stood on, it was hostile, it was tense, culture was tense here. And so I knew that as a pastor, and everyone knew that, I was going to get asked this question. You know, I sort of gone, Lord, would you sort of not give the question? Can I stick out of no man's land? Can I take a trip? No, I knew the bullet was going to come my way. It came one Friday afternoon at 4.30, everyone had finished, we're having a beer in the office, and my manager says to me, Steve, what are you going to vote whenever it was, tomorrow or next week? Now, I wasn't an Irish citizen back then, so I said, well, I can't vote. But if I could vote, I'm not sure what side I would vote for. I thought through how I was going to answer this. And my manager, like everyone else, said, ah, that just means you're voting no and you don't want to tell everyone. I said, no, no, no. I said, no, no, it means I understand both sides of the debate. And I actually think we're missing some key issues because the media is putting so much pressure on us to vote one way. I said, yeah, I want to vote yes, because I'm 100% behind the underlying motivations and themes of the yes vote, equality, love, and tolerance. I 100% affirm those three things. I want people in society which are treated fairly and with respect. However, I'm not sure 
that they're going the right way about it and whether to vote on marriage is the way to ensure an equal, loving and tolerant society. I think that could be achieved through uh, the civil union, uh, extending the civil union laws. I'm not sure we need to change the definition of marriage. And the conversation went back and forth as we discussed the difference between civil partnerships and, and marriage and whether the government uh, could do anything and whether the government should define or the people should define what marriage was. And it wasn't hostile at that stage because I'd slightly disarmed them deliberately by how I thought I'd approach the question. I'd, I'd prayed, I'd wrestled, I thought, Lord, I know I'm going to get this question. How am I going to answer it? That we can have a discussion. And then I carried on and at some point in the conversation he said, well, I want to vote no because ultimately I believe marriage is an institution given by God and so God defines our understanding of marriage and I think every child has the right to a mother and a father so if I was able to vote and you push me maybe yeah I think I would vote no but I have many friends voting on both sides and I respect them for that and so the conversation moved on and then at some point I said it wasn't quite as good as this okay just so I don't overdo myself here I said, I said, you see, the issue for me, and this is what I've often said, I said, the issue for me is that Jesus is Lord because I think he rose from the dead. If you don't think he rose from the dead, you shouldn't give a monkey's what he says about marriage. But if he rose from the dead, and, and you should therefore decide for yourself what you think marriage is. But if Jesus rose from the dead and he's Lord, we have to listen to what he says about marriage, whether we like it or not. And so I said to them, well, I actually welcome a referendum because the people of Ireland should choose the kind of society they want to live in. That's a democracy, even if those values are different to my values. And equality, love, and tolerance means that even when I disagree with people or take the minority view and I, I vote no instead of yes, I don't despise yes voters. I treat them as equal human beings who have a different opinion on this issue. I don't hate them. I love them. And if they hate me, well, I'm called by Jesus to love them more. I believe tolerance means respecting everyone and when they disagree with you, you tolerate them rather than pressurize them to conform to your view. Anyway, that's something like that. As I said, it wasn't as good as that. Okay? But I tell you, I had prayed and prayed and I thought Peter tells me to be prepared. I know the referendum's coming up. They all know I'm a pastor. They're going to ask me. And praise God by the Spirit, I was able to give an answer it was a gentle and respectful conversation, and I got to share my hope in Jesus. The culture around us is increasingly liberal and secular. Our views will be continually and increasingly be in the minority. What's the temptation, brothers and sisters? Fear. I'm going to retreat. I just can't handle that. Fear. I'm just going to assimilate and adopt what my friends think because I can't handle that. No man's land. Resident aliens. That's where we're called to be. Be ready for the bullets. You can go, oh, I'm just going to dock that one. I'm just going to go back down a trench for a moment. God says, no, 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 I need you to be there witnessing for me. And so I've alluded to it many times. I'll say it again. This is the key to the whole thing. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, fear or revere Christ as Lord. It's only fear of Christ that will drive out fear of man. Now forgive me for the continual film and Harry Potter illusions, but I'm going to give you another one. It comes from the Half-Blood Prince when Harry Potter challenges Professor Slughorn to be brave. 
Professor Slughorn, for those of you that don't know the story, is a weekly glory-driven professor. He just wants a quiet life. And he's driven by people liking him and people thinking well of him. And it was his fear of people that led him many years before to disclose information about the dark arts that he shouldn't have done. And he ended up helping turn Tom Riddle into the monster that is Voldemort. Okay, spoiler alert, if if you didn't know that. (laughs) Sorry. To cover his tracks so no one would know he was the coward and the culprit that enabled Tom Riddle to turn into Voldemort, the the lord of of the darkness, uh, and all the devastation around Hogwarts as a result. Uh, He he tries to cover his tracks by by deleting or or erasing part of a memory, kind of like evidence in court, you could say, that would have linked him to that bit of information. He He was so ashamed, he wanted to cover his guilt and the fact that he was a people pleaser and a coward. And at one point in Hagrid's hut, Harry, who's taken the, the luck potion or whatever it's called, is in luck, you know. And uh, he finds a moment where he can speak to Professor Slughorn and challenge him. And Harry, in the film, it's magnificent. Uh, Harry looks at Slughorn and in complete fearlessness, but with no arrogance, says this is how the conversation goes. Do you know why I survived, Professor? The night I got this, and he points to his scar, because of her because she sacrificed herself, because she refused to step aside, he's talking about his mum, because her love was more powerful than Voldemort's. Slughorn, don't say his name. Harry Potter, I'm not afraid of his name, Professor. I'm going to tell you something, something others have only guessed at. It's true, I am the chosen one. Only I can destroy him. But in order to do so, I need to know what Tom Riddle asked you that night in the office all those years ago. And I need... Uh, I need to know what you told him. Be brave, Professor. Be brave like my mother. Otherwise, you disgrace her. Otherwise, she died for nothing. What drove out fear of man in Harry's life? He knew his mum's sacrifice that meant he was alive. While that ended up driving out fear in Slughorn's life, he was reminded of Harry's mother's sacrifice. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Friends, you'll never go into no man's land. You'll never live as a resident alien unless you know the one who died for you. So you could be alive. Unless you know him, that he suffered. He was righteous and he suffered for you, the unrighteous one. He was put to death. He went to the ultimate no man's land where he was completely desolate and wounded not just by humans but judged under the wrath of God for you. When that sacrifice touches your heart, it will drive out fear of man and you'll fear him above all else. Why don't I share the gospel with my friends when they ask tough questions? because I fear them more than I fear Christ, because I'm more concerned about pleasing them than pleasing Christ, because their acceptance matters more than the acceptance I already have in Christ. It explains when I retreat, it explains when I assimilate, and it explains when I don't, and when I can be a resident alien. One more thing. We have to remember this, because this is tough stuff. There's a moment of grace here, isn't there? Who is writing the letter to these persecuted Christians. Do you remember? His best friend's on trial for his life. 
and he's standing outside and he's a bit cold and he's warming his hands by the fire. And who was it he couldn't stand up to? A young servant girl. He couldn't name the name of Christ to a young servant girl. No, I'm not one of his disciples. No, I don't know. And three times, Peter gave in to cowardice. And it was agony for him, wasn't it, as he contemplated what he'd done. But then Jesus met him on a beach again, around a fire, this time of fish, and reinstated him and said, Peter, what? Do you love me? In other words, do you fear me? Am I the one that consumes you? Am I more important than anything else? And he reinstated him with grace when Peter had been a big coward. And then a few days or weeks later, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he wouldn't have to do it in his own effort, but he could rely on the Spirit giving him the power. So if some of you are going, I can never go into no man's land. I could never live as a resident alien. You're in good company. God's grace is sufficient for when you have been a coward. It's sufficient for my cowardice. And his spirit is in that can enable you to be a witness for Christ in a culture that is increasingly hostile. Let's pray. And I'll invite the band back. Do you want to stand uh, as we're going to finish with a couple of songs? Just take a moment to consider the two avenues of, or the two trenches of retreat and assimilation and consider how fear might drive you to either one of those and how fear of Christ may enable you to be a resident alien. Just take a moment to consider how the Spirit wants to help you from today's talk. Father, we, uh, we want to start by confessing our sin of cowardice and giving in to fear. And we want to thank you for your amazing grace which was shown to Peter on that day on the beach that when he was a coward and when he did assimilate to the culture around, he was not disqualified. You brought him back in and you empowered him and he became the leader of the church. So I pray for any of us here today who feel like we've already messed up in this area that we'd be reminded that your grace is sufficient to reinstate us and that you ask that question of each of us today, do you love me above all else? If you know that you just want to take, a, you know, you, there's something where, something you did, something you said or something you didn't do or something you didn't say out of fear, just take a moment to confess that to God, knowing he is gracious and forgiving. So we thank you, Jesus, not just for your forgiveness, but for your example of being so courageous there in Gethsemane, in, in the garden, as you trembled before the prospects of the cross. But you said, for the joy set before you, endured, the, endured that scorn and the shame. And you went through that for us. I pray that your sacrifice that you suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, would not just inspire us, but would change us from the inside out, melt our hearts, that we might love you more and fear you more, and that that fear of you would drive out fear of man. 
pray for my brothers and sisters that know they're on the retreat side of things. And Lord, that you give them courage by your Holy Spirit today to, to connect with the culture, to make friends, to, to, to not just stay in holy huddles. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today who know their challenge is not to assimilate and not to just give in to the norms and their, the peer pressure of their friends and family, but to, to be different. Lord, give us the courage by your spirit for the, the, the places you've called us to be. And Lord, equip us by your spirit to answer questions, to be prepared, and equip us also with the manner, that gentleness and respect as we engage. Uh, and Lord, we want all of this, that many might come to know the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of resurrection from the dead, the hope of forgiveness of sins, the hope of life everlasting, the hope of an inheritance that can never be taken away from us, the hope of a world full of justice where evil has uh, been dealt with and every wrong has been righted. Lord, this is our hope we have because of Christ. And I pray that you'd help us to articulate that hope in a way that is meaningful and connects with our friends and families and neighbours that don't know you. We need you, Lord. We're desperate for you to fill us afresh with your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.